Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics Podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. Today's topic, the global economic outlook for 2021. When the pandemic hit at the beginning of 2020, a global recession followed. With the COVID-19 vaccine underway, is a recovery on the way? I asked Michael Monderer, Stratfor Senior Analyst for Global Economics. Michael, are we preparing for a global reawakening? Well, perhaps, Emily. I, th- I think I would have to have to uh, continue your analogy by saying we're going to we're basically hitting the snooze button again and again and uh, trying to recover from a deep sleep. Um, the fact is that even with an effective, timely, widely available vaccine, the pandemic is going to last well into 2021, as will the effects of the economic shock that the world experienced in 2020. We think that, that global growth or global GDP is down by about 4 to 5% in the aggregate. The depth of the decline didn't match that of the Great Depression, as many had anticipated. But the speed of the shock to a much larger economy was, in fact, greater. And it raises long-term issues, including the possibility of prolonged unemployment, business insolvencies, and high levels of debt. So for 2021, we're looking at potential growth about equal to the amount of decline, which means that in the aggregate for the world as a whole, which means that at the end of 2021, the globe or the world as a whole will have essentially restored its output to the level where it was two years earlier at the end of 2019. But of course, much of that is due to a stronger earlier earlier recovery in China and parts of Asia and recovery elsewhere, including in the U.S. and Europe, is going to be much more uneven and much slower. Well, I mean, re- returning to the levels of 2019, wouldn't that be a full recovery? Well, it, it is in the aggregate, but uh, because you're 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 accounting for China, which is almost 20 percent of the global economy, growing by seven, eight, maybe nine percent. So, in total, yes, it's a return. But it's not when you look at it in terms of individual countries. Um, The European Central Bank is estimating that that the euro area countries are not going to return to their end 2019 level until probably at least the end of 2022 and perhaps even 2023. Um, In the U.S., we're going to end 2021 probably lower than what our level of, of economic activity was at the end of 2019. What other lingering effects of the pandemic are we likely to see? Well, there's there's what economists are now calling scarring, which involves permanent job losses, um, permanently displaced workers. Now there's there's 10 million fewer jobs in the United States than there were almost a year ago. Um, you have many more insolvencies, both on personal level and on a business level. And so these are long-lasting costs that are going to need further extraordinary expenditures by government. In general, inflation will probably remain subdued, given slow recovery in demand and slack in, in what are called factor markets for labor and capital. And global interest rates are going to remain low for some time, with yields on sovereign bonds probably at or near zero and negative returns in many cases. Um, 
by one estimate, global debt has increased by about 10% of GDP to around $270 trillion. And if for no other reason than an ability to, to, to make payments on that debt, central banks are going to have to keep interest rates low. How should governments respond to continued economic weakness? I mean, the amount of debt taken on surely cannot be sustained. No, that's 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 true. Of course, it's the increase we're talking about, and, and you would expect some slowdown on that. But as I said, central banks are almost universally going to have to keep interest rates low um, in order to respond quickly and to respond quickly to liquidity problems with emergency lending where it's necessary. Um, there is some chance of financial instability as problem loans increase and banks have their profit margins squeezed. But as of now, banks or central banks should be able to respond to that with appropriate regulation and making sure that banks remain well capitalized and capable of, of absorbing losses. Um, on the fiscal side, the task is going to be to sustain a level of economic activity uh, that will eventually return to a sustainable organic growth. And that means there's going to be a need to continue increased public support as long as the health crisis persists or if the recovery falters. Unlike in 2010, after the, uh, the, the global financial crisis, governments are going to have to avoid the temptation of withdrawing support too early, which, which could prolong the recovery. And they need to focus on what would be otherwise viable countries, uh, companies rather, and perhaps raise the prospects for for helping displaced workers. So you've mentioned some of the differences in recovery among countries. What other differences will there be? Well, as as, as I mentioned, China, which was actually the first into the pandemic and was the first out um, for reasons that are unique to China, has already basically returned to its pre-pandemic level of, of economic activity. Uh, elsewhere, it's going to be much slower. I mentioned that the euro area is expected to see negative growth in this quarter because you've had a recurrence of COVID-19 and, and, and shutdowns and a continuation of social distancing. Um, in the U.S., we've also had a resurgence of the virus. Um, the uh, latest jobs report was somewhat disappointing. There was a slowdown in hiring in November, even though there were jobs created, the only reason the unemployment rate fell was because more people left the labor force than, than actually entered it. And since then, you've seen increasing claims in unemployment each, mostly each week. Um, and that will probably accelerate as emergency programs expire. We still don't know whether we're going to have a fiscal stimulus in the U.S. or not. Michael, what are the risks to this outlook? Well, first of all, there's what economists somehow call happily an upside risk, and that would be that there's faster than expected containment of the pandemic, or we develop better treatments that would allow for a return to more normal activity quicker. That's on the upside. Unfortunately, the risks on the downside far outnumber that one. Um, one is that the pandemic worsens before it gets better. Second is that global growth is lower than expected or there's higher public debt than expected. Thirdly, there could be more long-term long -term scarring with people permanently displaced. Um, and, 
associated with that, globally, there's been a reversal of about 20 years of progress in reducing poverty, with the number of people globally living below the poverty line increasing by something like 15% in 2020. Next, there's the duration of public support. As I mentioned earlier, governments become fatigued in the amount of support they provide, and there could be a premature withdrawal of financial support. Next, there could be pressure on the financial system as problem loans increase, and there are more defaults that require government bailouts. And finally, this is Stratfor, so we have to talk about weather-related natural disasters and geopolitical tensions and increased social unrest. The bottom line is that we're going to be living with this virus and its effects for some time with more uncertainty than usual. And there will be permanent costs, including the loss of about 5%, the permanent loss of about 5% of global production. Michael Monderer, Stratfor Senior Analyst for Global Economics. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome, Emily. If you'd like to read more about the geopolitical impacts of the virus on the global economy, check out our free newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.